Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. Welcome to our Rockets Thunder postgame show, Game 5. We'll have a couple of Astros thoughts in a few minutes as well. Joining me is co-host and fellow H-Town sports junkie and journalist, Stephen Kerr. And boy, oh boy, Stephen, the Rockets Walt the Thunder, 114.80 to go up 3-2 in the series. Westbrook returns, 7 points, 7 assists, 6 rebounds in just 24 minutes. But Stephen... This game didn't turn on a blowout because of Westbrook. It turned thanks to another player. Any guesses? Um, I think it's is it some guy named Harden. He has a beard, right? I don't want to credit this one to Harden. Look, Harden had a good game. He He's doing pretty good in the series. But it really was a three-point game at the half. And then Eric Gordon, who had 20 points, just put it in overdrive early in the third period. Steven, not just on offense. He was also doing it on defense with a steal and a basket. Most importantly, though, he was not settling for 25-foot-long threes. Thank goodness. Yeah, yeah, that was good to see. Yeah, he was blown by guys. And what grabbed my attention more than anything was that everybody on the Rockets, including Harden, realized whoever's guarding Gordon is a mismatch. So give him the ball and just let him go to work. Well, Robert, this is the type of smart play that we were talking about that the Rockets need to do consistently. You know, and Eric Gordon, it's, we, we kind of wait for him to do these sorts of things and, and be a smarter player, but not just him, but the whole team. is when the threes aren't falling, you know, they still only shot, I think, 30.8% uh, from three-point range. So obviously the threes were not the story. It was the way that they played smart, just like they did in games one and game two. And getting back to Westbrook, you know, sometimes it's the intangibles that a player provides that can be the spark. You know, clearly Westbrook's intensity and energy was missed, and it, it did make some kind of a difference. You know, his shooting certainly didn't, as you pointed out. But I think just having him on the floor energized the Rockets and, and got them to the point that they really needed to come out. I, I must admit, I was very surprised to see just how they blew the Thunder out. And it, it wasn't a blowout the whole game, as you said. You know, there were stops and starts, and the Thunder did come back. The Rockets, I think, had a 13-point lead early. The Thunder came back, so, you know, they could have taken over at some points of the game. But the Rockets just didn't allow that to happen. When the Rockets came out of the gate, they were like, uh, Lou Dort, you can shoot wide-open threes all you want to. You're going to brick them, and, and that strategy worked early in the game. But, you know, I said half-jokingly on Twitter that, Maybe the Thunder need to start treating Gordon like Lou Dort, just back off of him, let him, fi let him fire wide open threes from outside. Uh, maybe that starts to happen. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, I guess it works both ways. I think Dort was 0 for 9. He didn't even make a shot. And, uh, yeah, that's the thing with the Thunder that they have to keep kind of wrestling with is how much is his liability on offense going to affect, you know, his playing time because he's clearly the, the only guy that can even stay with James Harden. And Harden had 31 points, 11 of 15 shooting. So at least his shooting efficiency was good. But yeah, when, when Dort starts throwing up shots and trying to be a scorer, as far as the Rockets are concerned, he can do that all day long. They'll, they'll, they'll just leave him all by himself, you know, let him have his quiet time and just let him keep putting up shots. Besides Gordon, the other story was Covington for the Rockets, who's been MIA the whole series. He was on fire from outside in the second half, 22 points, 6 of 11 from 3. And he led the team in plus minus with a crazy plus 36 in 31 minutes. Yeah, that is something just that the Rockets have desperately needed is to see Covington. I mean, he's good on the defensive end and he can block shots, but 
man, when he gets into the scoring game, which is something you don't really expect on a consistent basis, but oh, how valuable it is when you get it, because that just adds another weapon, another person that the Rockets can count on, especially if one or two other guys aren't aren't shooting well. Well, let's not forget that the Rockets pretty much gave up two first round picks for Covington. And since they gave up this year's first round pick and Capella, I just consider that really two first round picks. And you can't afford for Covington to be invisible if you're hoping for a run, Stephen. And what was bothering me about his game early in the series was his reticence to fire from outside when he was wide open. Just too much hesitation there. Too much hesitation. And, you know, he would occasionally get in some foul trouble early, which, you know, kind of sets the tone for how you play the rest of the game, just depending on how things fall. So, yeah, that along with it. And, you know, when you the thing is, when you hesitate in anything, whether it's shooting the ball, passing, you know, and really in any sport, hesitation is really what can cost you about as much as anything else. Two things are emerging if you're a Thunders fan in this series. Number one, you need Lou Dort to work on his outside shot, which goes without saying. He continued to give hard problems on the defensive end, but they couldn't keep him on the floor offensively and literally just had to take him out of the game, which was a big deal. Also, uh, the other thing, number two, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, he's being targeted on defense by the Rockets because he's not good. And because of that, he's been taken out of his game on both sides offensively too. Well, and the Rockets, you know, they watch the film. And so not only do they need to play smart offensive ball like we've talked about, but it's the matchups. It's it's studying the matchups and work works best for them and putting the guys on them that need to happen. That, I think, was as much a turning point in that game as the rest of the Rockets play. I guess we need to mention the P.J. Tucker-Dennis-Schroeder incident. Uh, the game officially ended with Schroeder getting tossed. I'm a screwed Dennis Schroeder. It's Schroeder or Schroeder? I, always, I, 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 I keep hearing it's Schroeder, so I, I'll go with what most everybody else says. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm screwing it up left and right, and I apologize. Uh, it's Schroeder, and I know that. It just I, I look at it. I look at the name sometimes, and I'm still saying the, the wrong pronunciation. But Yeah, you want to say the other name. What I wonder, Stephen, about this particular incident is if the officials would have looked at that one on replay if PJ doesn't start the altercation immediately afterwards does Schroeder get ejected and would D'Antoni have had to waste his one and only challenge on that well that's the biggest question and uh, of course you know the NBA always looks at these things after the game so it'll be interesting to see what they decide uh you know and and Schroeder I mean the second quarter was clearly when he had his day I think he had 18 points in that quarter so he was a big factor from the Thunder but uh, yeah I, I just wonder how that incident is going to play once the league actually watches it afterwards and you know see what happens you know to to Tucker and or Schroeder in the ultimately no way should PJ get suspended over the headbutt but if you do Schroeder's got to get it too just saying i mean well that's right yeah if you're going to suspend one you you know they both participated and i i don't care you know who it, it's always the guy that follows up that gets caught but they both participated clearly. So if you're going to be to one, you got to be fair to both. That, that's how I look at it. It's one of those things. I don't want this to turn into the NBA or to the NFL, Stephen, but it's one of those deals where if you got to challenge that to get Schroeder punching PJ in a place where he, he doesn't want to be punched, if you got to go to a replay on something like that, uh, if you're Mike D'Antoni or you got to start an altercation to get it looked at, then 
it might be a situation where, and I, again, I don't want it to turn into the NFL, but give the guy another challenge if he gets one right, especially with something like something like that. Yeah, that's why I wondered about this. Well, they get him another challenge. So, I, I, yeah, I, I just don't know. These things are always so complicated. Um, but we'll just have to see what the league has to say afterwards about the whole thing. Not much else to say about this one. It's a quick turnaround. We're, we're doing this on Sunday. Uh, Saturday was kind of crazy for both of us, but uh, we're going to go again because there's another game tomorrow. So that's pretty much all I've got on the Rockets, except that we should mention that NBA lost one of its great characters this weekend with the passing of Cliff Robinson. Robinson um, never played for the Rockets, but I'm sure like me, every fan in the NBA feels like Uncle Cliffy's was one of their favorite personalities. And Steven, how perfect would he be in today's NBA game? How much... You know, could the Rockets have used a guy that was six foot ten and shot thirty five point six percent from three? Daryl Morey might have traded three first round picks to get him. Well, yeah, I was gonna say he would be the prototypical type Rockets player because not only was he big inside, I mean, I guess he, you know, the whole small ball thing maybe, but yeah, the the way that he could shoot from outside, I mean, talk about an added weapon. And so, yeah, I was, I was honestly, I was surprised when I when I saw the news. Um, he certainly was a steady player. You know, maybe not a superstar, but a steady player that helped the teams he played for. So definitely a sad loss about Cliff Robinson. Yeah, he was an all-star at one point for a season, I believe. And, you know, he's just he could he could get 20 for you in a hurry. Just like a he's kind of like an Eric Gordon, a, a bigger Eric Gordon, obviously. But that, that's the kind of player he was. And when you look back at that 89-90 Portland Trailblazers team, if you go back 30 years, with former Rockets Clyde Drexler and Robert Reed on that team, it's so tragic what has happened to that team. A bunch of guys died way too young. Drazen Petrovic was on that team. He was 28. Oh, that's right. That's right. Uh, Kevin Duckworth was 44. Uh, Jerome Kersey was 52. And now Cliff Robinson at, Robinson at 53. Just, I mean, it's crazy. On the same team. Yeah, it's kind of eerie if you think about it. I, I hadn't even thought about that until you just brought it up. Yeah, it just, it's strange how some things like that happen you don't wish it on any team and you certainly don't you know no matter what level of sports you're talking about when you think of all the great teams you know from the 70s uh, the 80s uh, who a lot of their players are still intact it's just wow it's strange to consider that you have a team in the late 80s early 90s where a lot of these guys you know some of them are my age Robert and yet they died at that point or even younger so wow that's that's pretty strange to think about Okay, something happened on Saturday that I'm guessing has rarely happened, if ever, in Houston sports. We got three wins from Houston major franchises on the same day. Combined with the Rockets win, the Astros swept the doubleheader. So that was really cool. But Stephen, more importantly, the Astros will finally not only win a series, but I guess you could say sweep a series against a really good team this year after Sunday. Uh, they had to cancel the game over a member of the A's organization getting a positive COVID test. Yeah, that's pretty freaky. And I, you know, they were, as I think I said this in the last podcast, they were 0-8 uh, against teams 500 or better. So uh, winning winning those games against the A's, regardless of how it came about, you know, thanks to doubleheader, uh, they truly needed that, especially because the A's were leading the division. Also, the Astros' Corpus Christi site got shut down from a positive COVID test, which has got to be a much bigger concern for the Astros than even the A's positive test because you figure you're not going to be in super close contact with the A's guys, but all those Corpus guys are hanging out together. So 
Stephen, I'd say keep an eye out for that. I mean, that's that's going to be a big deal. If, if for instance, somebody like Aledmus Diaz brought it back with him or something like that. Well, that's right, because, yeah, he was just activated. So and I guess Taylor Jones is now off the roster. But, uh, yeah, I, I just this is the one thing you worry about, Robert, every day. I mean, you try not to let it be in the forefront of your mind, but it has to be is every day is a new day and something new happens. You know, it only takes one person to come in contact with for this kind of thing to kind of be like a runaway freight train. So you just have to hope that is not the case with the Astros. Yeah, new Astro Luis Garcia also could be a carrier too. Uh, that's somebody they brought up who uh, I think he'd only played in as, as high as single A last year. But uh, we'll get into actual baseball. And my question for you, Stephen, is, has Kyle Tucker become skinny jeans Jordan Alvarez? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'm I'm wondering, you know, there were some texts going back and forth between you and me and somebody who I will not name, you know, about Kyle Tucker. I think it was, what was it, a couple of weeks ago when Kyle was still kind of struggling a bit. So, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's funny that you, you keep waiting for the guy to come through, and he's been apparently working hard the last few weeks to try to straighten out some things, including hitting to all parts of the field. But I don't know. It may still be a little bit of soon, a little bit soon, a bit a small sample size. But it is so good to see Kyle Tucker starting to hit like the Kyle Tucker that we kept hoping would be. We kept hearing he would be. He did it in the minor leagues. He's got the Teddy Williams swing, but hadn't quite come through in the major leagues with that swing. So it certainly looks like Kyle maybe has finally figured it out and is really putting in the work. I think that's a lot of it, Robert, is I think he's finally putting in the work to straighten out some things that if you're going to hit at the major league level, you've got to do that. Yeah, the other guy in that text conversation, and he's not listening, so I don't care what I say behind his back, but that, that was okay. RG. I was uh, going to let you do that, not me. <laughs> that, was, that was our old friend RG Seal, the former co-host. And you know what? The Kyle Tucker I was critical of was a different guy. This is not the same guy. It's a different guy. Yeah, it's truly, it, it remarkably, is a different guy, especially in the last two or three weeks. And the way he's just hitting, you know, he was hitting the ball hard, Robert, when he did make contact. But the problem is he was swinging at too many bad pitches and, and just not hitting to all parts of the field. And, you know, the league's going to figure him out. They're, they're always going to figure out your weaknesses. So you've got to be able to keep one step ahead of the pace. And I think that's what Kyle Tucker is finally figuring out, that that's what he has to do. And so now... He's not only making great contact with the ball, but he is spraying it to all parts of the field, and it's paying off. Yeah, and if you go back to what I said, my concern with him was that he doesn't see the ball very well. The strike zone issues, you know, is he seeing curveballs, fastballs? Does he know kind of what's coming off off the speed of the pitch and the break and the spin and every you know, all that stuff that the great hitters can do, and now he's doing it. He wasn't doing it before, and now he's doing it. And then and you got a different hitter, so... Let's uh, hope he can continue that and and maybe move him up a little bit higher in the order. <laughs> if you're gonna, if you, like, don't you move him up higher than than the fifth spot like he was on Saturday? <laughs> well, I, and you know he has played. Uh, he's kind of gone all over the lineup. I know. I think it was last weekend. Dusty put him in the cleanup spot, and I think he hit a double in his first at bat. I can't remember. I, th I think he had another hit in the game too. So he's kind of been the one that's kind of bounced all over the lineup. It seems to me, um, but lately. Doesn't seem to matter where you put him, <laughs> top, bottom, or middle. He's he's definitely been hitting, and that's so so wonderful to see that. 
Yeah, Dusty, totally different than AJ. AJ was keeping guys in basically the same spot all the time. Dusty's, it's a new lineup. I mean, part of it's been because of, obviously, injuries. Right, right. But he does tend to seem to tinker with the lineup a little bit more, doesn't he? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it's more in his nature to do that. Obviously, James Click has got to be signing off on that. Maybe Jeff was fine doing it the way that... uh, AJ was doing it, but I'll be interested to see like if they can get guys consistently on the field next year, if that changes at all, or if he, he still does that. Um, one thing that I, I, I would have to say of what it's been a pretty good couple of weeks for the Astros is Brandon Belak magic might be over. So hopefully Jose Arquiti is ready to pitch and ready to pitch soon. Well, I think they're projecting him to come back hopefully by Labor Day. And the, boy, yeah, the Astros could certainly use him. Uh, Belak has certainly struggled and we, you know, we, we, they were high on him coming in and he had some great stuff, but you know, it's just, there, there are times that guys just kind of hit a wall and you hope that, that Belak can recover quickly because just with all the things that are going on and you don't know from one day to the next, who's going to be out for what reason, uh, getting our kitty back will definitely be a boost, especially if he can even come close to picking up where he left off last year. Right. And I think this is where you get a little concerned with this COVID thing going on down in Corpus Christi, because could it affect Urquidy and Bregman getting up on time? Are they going to have to be waiting for tests? How long do they have to wait? Are they going to have to isolate? I mean, all of that sort of stuff. And, you know, that's it's why it's a big deal, Stephen. Yeah, not only that, because but you also wonder, you know, the fact that uh, Urquidy came back and then, you know, they shut the facility down recently. Has he been re-exposed? And, uh, you know, we still don't know. There's a, there's a lot we don't know about getting reinfected. But, you know, the biggest thing for me right now is what kind of shape is he going to be in when he comes back? And, and just how effective it, how long is it going to take him to be effective the way the Astros would need him to be? That's That's a big question for me. Yeah, and I don't know if they're going to use him out of the bullpen or as a starter. All that stuff is just kind of up in the air, you know. Uh... I, you know, we should also mention that the the man who portrayed Jackie Robinson in the biopic film 42 passed away on Friday, which by some That's crazy right. coincidence was the day baseball honored Jackie Robinson this year. Same day, Chadwick Boseman passed away after quietly dealing with cancer for four years. Did you see that movie 42, Stephen? A long time ago. Yeah. And of all the things, you know, movies or documentaries that, that have been made about Jackie Robinson, I think he epitomized the character about as well as anybody. But yeah, how about another freakish thing we were talking about on the same day that uh, they honor Jackie Robinson Day? You just can't explain some of those things, can you? Right. And I mean, I, 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 I'll be honest, I didn't see Black Panther. No, I didn't see it either. I saw some of the James Brown documentary, I, I mean, biopic, which was, uh, he was good. I, the film itself didn't hold me necessarily, but you know, he, he, he's a, he's a, he was a great actor. I mean, there's no question about that. Oh, absolutely. So uh, another tough loss. We, we've had some tough losses this week for sure. And he would be one of them. Before we go, I want to go back to Stephen, a question that you and I asked after the NBA had their work stoppage following the Jacob Blake shooting. We asked, what will this actually accomplish? Well, I, I, I got four things that it might've accomplished. And, and really, I think it did accomplish. And, and let's go to number one. Uh, it rippled through pro sports where other teams sat out and, you know, they also boycotted or whatever work stoppage. There's no way to guess what that kind of impact long-term has on kids who follow all those sports. Because if you, if you don't follow the NBA, maybe you go, okay, I'm not, I'm not seeing this where the NBA is kind of 
Stephen, where they've worn their activism on their jerseys and the courts, but Major League Baseball, you know, Major League Soccer, NHL, they've not been quite as outspoken. WNBA, they, they did the same thing too. Yeah, they were, they were outspoken, but those other leagues haven't been quite as outspoken, at least physically. Even Naomi Osaka did on the tennis court. So their work stoppages might have mattered more than the NBA. Do you, do you agree on that? Yeah, I would have to say so. And it definitely catches attention. It, it's almost like a wave. You know, one person starts, or one, in this case, one league starts it, one team, and others follow. It de- you definitely are going to take notice. And, you know, Robert, you texted me about, you know, the kids that are watching uh, who might want to be police officers or, or just, you know, non-athletes. But I also say, what about the kids who are watching who do want to be athletes, and they are seeing some of their heroes and how they're handling this, and that in itself might make an impression on them moving forward. And this generation, I think, has just done that, where LeBron James and Chris Paul have set the example throughout the NBA, where Michael Jordan and the guys that followed him weren't doing that. You know, Kobe didn't really pick up on that until years and years and years after uh, Michael Jordan was gone and, and, and his career was towards the end. Then you started to see Kobe a little bit more interested, but... Whereas, you know, guys like LeBron and, and Chris Paul and, and some of these guys, and even Carmelo, have all been very, very outspoken about it. Now, that was the, the first thing that I think this thing accomplished. The second thing is the Bucks owner got the players in touch with, with the Wisconsin DA and governor and discussed with them how they can change things. The Bucks owner with a great relationship. And that's where, you know, these players with their connections can really make a difference. And Stephen, from what I understand, the players had the DA and governor, especially the DA from, from the story that I heard, he was on speakerphone and the players were literally taking notes on a whiteboard about what they could do to change things. Robert, this is the kind of change that, that I think we need to see at the very top, not just in sports, but in all walks of life, that, that ripple effect where it, regardless of what the industry is that you're talking about, you know, in this case, the players who have a pipeline to the owners, who have a pipeline to someone else, you know, in the justice system, uh, outside the realm of that industry. That is the kind of thing we need to see, I think, if real change is going to come about. And that's where I, I think that the players are able to make that kind of, not only a statement, but to have that kind of effect to bring this kind of change about. So that was one of the things that I was really encouraged to see, is how the ownership of the Bucks stepped up. And if, if not only other teams can do it, but it can start having a ripple effect in every industry. Because this is what we're going to be talking about is most of us are not professional athletes. Most of us aren't college athletes. Most, most of us aren't even in sports in regard to what we do for a living or how we interact with people. This is what's going to need to happen on every single level. And so that's where I think it's big in what you were just talking about with the Bucks. The other two things that it accomplished is specific to what happened and what came out uh, after the end of the work stoppage. The NBA, number one, agreed to work with players and broadcast partners to create advertising in NBA playoff games, promoting civic engagement in elections and raising awareness about the voting process. So a lot of language there, but basically they're going to be talking about voting and some of the advertising that you're going to see. Number two, every NBA city where the league's franchises controls its arena, owners will work with officials to turn those arenas into voting locations, giving access for more people in cities to vote 
and vote safely during the pandemic because these are going to be big arenas where you can social distance. And if that's not possible, they're going to try to use those facilities in other ways, such as sites to register voters and receive ballots. The Hawks, Pistons, Bucks, Kings, Hornets, and Jazz arenas are already voting locations in November. And Stephen, it did not seem like an accident that on Thursday, the Toyota Center was quickly announced as a new voting location. Yeah, I, I'm just, um, I, and I think that's great because that you said that the two words that are important to me, Robert, is safe voting. And it's just, I'm, I'm glad that somebody is finally making an effort to do that because I think a lot of that has just been lost in the shuffle of what's going on. And so the NBA has really, I think, above all the major sports, once again has shown its leadership. And yeah, I know it's taken a while. But at least they have been the ones who've been wanting to step out in the forefront and say, OK, we're willing to listen to the players. We're, we're willing to listen to others and start getting some things done that, that are really going to have an effect. They're not just going to talk about it. They're actually going to do it. And voting does stuff. And, and let me point out this, because the Toyota Center, the fact that they're opening, by the way, free parking there as well. So, you know, this is Tillman Fertitta you know, is very much a part of that happening, which is it's interesting because if you start looking at where he's giving his money in, in, in uh, campaign contributions, you would think uh, that maybe he wouldn't be as interested in, in making it more available for more voters. Let me put it that way. I mean, there, there's definitely that accusation, which, you know, whether you think it's fair or not, the accusation going towards you know, the side that Tillman's sticking most of his money. I mean, right. I think he's, I think he's put right. mo from what I saw, he's putting money on both sides, but a lot more money on one side of the equation than the other. Let me put it that way. But, you know, I spoke to one huge Rockets fan who lives near the university of Houston's main campus, who spent four or five hours, four or five hours trying to vote during the primary a few months ago mm -hmm. over at U of H. And, and that's the type of situation that the Toyota Center could avoid, Stephen. I mean, that's where this is important that, you know, in these inner city communities that people have quick and easy access to vote because, you know, the harder you make it, the more you discourage people from voting. And that's that's been the issue. Well, that's right. And, and you know, we talk about how important it is to vote and then we get encouraged to cast our vote. Uh, but so often, you know, it's, it's like anything else, Robert, if you, if you ask me to do something, but you're going to make me climb a mountain without proper climbing gear, or, you know, expect me to, to run uphill and I'm not in shape. You just, the, the harder you make it for me, the less inclined I'm going to want to do it. And that's where it comes to voting. So if, if these arenas are going to do this, they need to make sure that they have a plan of action to cover as many possibilities as they possibly can and just to, to make sure that it is as quick, if I can use that word, or, or at least efficient, let's, let's use that, as efficient as possible when Election Day does come. But I'm glad, you know, for whatever the reason is, and, and what these guys truly feel, and I'm talking about Tillman Fertitta or anyone else that is leading this process, whatever their reasons for doing it, what, you know, some people can question whether they're genuine or not. The fact is, it's getting done or they're at least attempting to get it done. And I guess that that's really what the main point is, is, is just getting it done. Let's just make sure it's done right. And we talked about the last time that LeBron James had his organization that was trying to get more people to vote and 
provide polling volunteers at places where people can vote easier and and, and all of the stuff that he's trying to do helping on the voting side. And and that organization is called More Than a Team. And I want to also refer to the fact that it's not just LeBron James. Like I said, there's other players and personalities involved in that, including Houston's Brittany Griner, Shanae Ogwambaki, uh, former Texan Dare Ogunbwale, former running back, and he was in camp with the Texans. You might remember him, but a, a couple of big-time WNBA players and Ogwambaki and Griner, a couple of women that I covered back when they were in Houston, when they were in high school. So, you know, this is Houston area people, not just LeBron James, where, you know, we're Houston sports talk. And, and so, you know, it's really cool that the, the, the Houston area folks, and as long along with Mike Evans, the, the Galveston ball product is also oh, on yeah. this, gr- yeah. this group too. Yeah. Well, it's like that ripple effect I was talking about, Robert, the more the merrier, the more people that get on board of this, then the more impact it's going to create and the change that it will bring about. And, you know, change does come slowly, and there's nothing of this is going to happen overnight, but it's got to start somewhere. And the more people that get on board this train, then the more people that are going to be on board for the change that really needs to happen. That's all for this one. But again, we're going to continue with the post game shows as the week goes on. So stay tuned for more Rockets post game shows. Stay healthy and safe, everybody. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.